An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an elegant weapon. The last in a, a little bit of a spread of a creator spotlight celebrating all the wonderful talent that's going to be at Gotham Central Comic and Collectibles Halloween Fest on October 29th. Joining me right now, group of seven comics. That's right. We've got Jason Lapidus and Chris Sanigan. Welcome so much to the show, guys. Thanks for having us, Jay. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It's about time. I've uh, been watching you guys for a while. You guys have been doing some amazing stuff. Do either of you want to tell us what Group of Seven Comics is all about? Go ahead, Chris. Sure, why not? Group of Seven Comics is a historical fiction action-adventure series uh, filled with tales of daring and danger. Um, you know, it takes place 100 or so years ago and mashes up a whole bunch of stuff we love, like pulpy novels and Canadian history and action adventure movies and all the above. That's what we are. That's what group of seven comics does. Right on. Uh, when did you guys start that up? Five years, years ago. ago in yeah. 2017, we published the first issue. Oh, nice. And what's your origin story? How do you guys come together as a team? We met through our respective girlfriends at the time who were in school together at university and they lured each of us on the double date oh yeah reluctantly you guys met uh, on a double date (laughs) uh yeah we when we got to the lunch i remember it was lunch wasn't it chris i think so Uh, we realized we had more fun talking to each other than our (laughs) our now wives so we we ended up talking comics and hockey and music and movies and uh it's just been a, a roller coaster of awesome buddy times ever since well that's cool that they are now both your wives and that everybody turned into one big happy family mm-hmm. yes. yeah, it worked out well that's cool did they have a feeling were they doing the kind of like oh you're gonna love him i don't remember it was it was a really long time ago it was we're, back- we're all pretty young too we're all pretty young so right i think on. i don't yeah i think it was just more they were they were getting along really well and you know they had boyfriends and no oh, we should just of course get together and uh yeah jason and i have become the stronger couple of the fruit <laughs> I, I, I actually think the reason i was invited on that was because laura my wife she wanted to ride home so, <laughs> solid, solid move. want to tip back some wine glasses right <laughs> no, I, no it wasn't because of drinking it's just because it's more fun to get driven than to, uh, you know, take the subway back up to where we live. Oh, yes. Oh, no, absolutely true. Definitely. So were you guys already creating when you met each other? Or was that something that came out of meeting each other? You know, no, we definitely weren't. I certainly wasn't creating um, when we met when we met each other. um, And didn't really have much going on comics wise, aside from the odd, you know, book to read, like the old interest. But uh, no, it was something that came to us later where uh, I had written, uh, but never fiction and certainly not comics. Uh, and Jason, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say, say but yeah, say what, what you were doing. Sure. I, uh, I've always been drawing and I've always wanted to draw comics. 
And at that point in time, I was one of, uh, you know, the millions of people around the world who had ideas for comics, but never initiated getting them done. Oh, I have a great idea. But I honestly, th that kind of thought it just doesn't get you anywhere. Um, so I, I was a, a doodler and, uh, you know, an art teacher and that kind of thing. But I had never uh, put pen to paper uh, with the intention of actually making a full comic book. And you'd never published it. Oh, no. And, and, and I had never, I had never published page. Published oh, writing that wasn't that wasn't like either academic or, or like newspaper based. It was new for both of us. Yeah. So, uh, were you guys educated? Like, did you go to school for either writing or art, or no? Just pure homegrown. Tiny bit. bit. Tiny bit. Little. Yeah, bit. I, I dropped out of OCA when back when it was okay. called OCA. Yeah. Right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So, what comes first? You guys saying, "Hey, let's do a comic together," or does somebody have the idea and say, "Hey, you want to do this with me?" So kind of a little bit of both, like, I mean, really to take that, that initial meeting story forward, you know, 10 years or 12 years or whatever it was. And with those women who were our girlfriends and became our, our wives and we've started families, both of us around the same time. And, uh, and we were actually with our kids at a playground, like when they were super young, pushing them on swings. And so I work in the heritage field in Ontario as my career. And so we were looking, I was, I was thinking about it, it was, it was back in, um, sorry, say that again. You work at the, the heritage in, in, in the heritage field, um, in like with history and, and documents. Oh, that's and awesome. Super. So it was already kind of top of mind, but then I was thinking about the centennial of the first world war, which would have been a hundred years be 2014. And I started thinking about, um, people I knew who were soldiers in the Canadian army at the time. Who ended up becoming like doing unbelievable things in the 20th century Canada, whether that's becoming a prime minister, whether that's winning a Nobel Prize for discovering insulin, whether that's starting the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey club, Jay and I are both fans of. Um, anyway, so there was an idea that percolating about, about a, a story uh, involving these people on a secret mission, and, and again, bringing in those the love of those that pulpiness of the storytelling that we love. Um, and then I, I, yeah, kids pushing kids on swings. Maybe that's that's what we call ourselves, kids on swings or something. But we, uh, yeah, hey, I got this idea for a story and like pitch the story. Like here's the characters, here are the name, here are the seven people. Here here's the title, group of seven. And uh, Jason knew exactly what I was going for right off the bat with all the touch points of Canadiana that we were talking about. And then off we went. That's super cool. It's nice yeah. when it just comes naturally like that. You guys when already I, have a bit of a rapport, right? Right. When I heard the pitch, I, I knew that it wasn't going to get made unless Chris and I made it. So we needed to make this book because I wanted to see it real. I love the idea so much. Uh, so I really wanted to see it real. You wanted to see it real, Chris. So we just put the nose to the grindstone and Chris worked on uh, a, a prelude, a prologue. Yeah, a prologue. Right. out, you know, a six issue arc. And I got to work on, you know, sporadically got to work on trying to design characters and learn how to draw these historical figures in inoffensive ways <laughs> uh, and figure out, like, how are we going to do this? What's our process going to be? And eventually, you know, we we were able to finish the first issue and, and get it printed and, and published and put out into the world. And we started tabling at events and getting it into stores and doing interviews. And for whatever reason, we got on, you know, some CBC radio really early on. Right, and then right. it just started continuing, and and um, as we got more proficient at the process of getting books made, you know, here we are, really 
10 individual issues later and we've had a you know a trade out and you know two more trades are probably going to come out you know soonish we're in in our we're in our cycle in a production cycle they're not too far off and you know we've done over the last year alone um, you know Montreal Comic Arts Festival TCAF Fan Expo Canada and SPX in, in Maryland like we we've we've become we've gotten further down the road with this project than I'd ever thought we we would and then further than we could actually foresee like we we couldn't see how far this was going to go for us at the time that uh we were pushing those kids in the on the swings and I believe it was a spring spring afternoon on a weekend right uh, right so well, it shows you were like paying attention to what you were doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, swings are a one-handed thing. You know, you just, <laughs> it's actually better than having to do the other thing, which is like having to actually play with the kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, had you done any kind of sequential art before this, or just layouts and you know maybe tightening up a few panels here or there, but uh, and planning. I had always I'm great at planning stories, but to finish the details and then, you know, collaborate with an individual or a team to carry the ball over the finish line is a whole nother story. Like the will of actually making the book, get the files uploaded, like get them complete and get them uploaded. Like all that stuff was, I had never gotten anywhere near that. And now it is still challenging every time, but it's, um, the, the variables are known. Right, and like right. we know how to do it and we get better at it each time so a lot of trial and error there there are still trial and error with things like yeah. working with new printers or paper stock or um how new color is going to turn out that you haven't used before you know like i'm for let's just say the second issue we, we made i went with a more realistic color choice for the interior of a room and i went with brown and I don't know how many brown comic book covers that you think are great. Uh, I can't think of very many. So, you know, when I see that thing at first, I'm like, wow, our thing got made. I'm really happy. And then it takes maybe 30 seconds before you realize, I don't like looking at this thing. It's brown. So, you know, it's all, there's always something to be learned from uh, aesthetic choices and production choices. And, uh, and then, yeah. And, basically that it's it's yeah, been yeah. always a learning process every time i had uh my ex-wife who i used to have a home with a uh, house back in mississauga and she wanted to paint the washroom brown and i was like are you nuts that's gonna look weird and she it's painted thematic. it yeah she painted it brown and it was a little too thematic and i was like this isn't gonna work at all i can't believe you went through with this but that was some trial and error right there right sure yeah yeah I mean, um, I grew up in a house that had brown shag carpeting. Oh, that's pretty so, fantastic. Well, sure. Listen, yeah. it was the end of the 70s. That's just how <laughs> things were. Hey, my bedroom had wood paneling, man. <laughs> and all my Freddy posters in a line with thumbtacks. Absolutely. Um, Chris, yeah. so uh, how was learning the process of writing comics for you? Because it's not so simple as just sitting down and writing. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the first things you got to do when you're learning to read a write a comic is you're going to cut out 70% of the words that you initially use in your rough draft, probably. So is that a difficult thing to learn? Well, I mean, I certainly didn't know where to begin, aside from leaning on things that I thought I knew, which was high school theater. <laughs> so, and I mean, you know, sure. honestly, in terms of in trying to try to put like a, a structure to a page. And so, um, and to this day, um, the scripts that I've written, 
um, uh, are, are very are very much written almost in stage direction. There is very much like scene, act, uh, dialogue, character enters room. What I haven't done, and doesn't mean that I'm against it, and I know that I, I just I know that other comic writers, and I'm, I'm actually quite fascinated by this. Is that it's not my approach at all, and I can't change it. But it's you know like page one, panel one. Page one, panel two. I, I've, I've never done that ever. Uh, Jason has been an incredible collaborator in the sense that he takes this pages of verbiage and scene and dialogue, and he starts starts chunking it out, starts taking it, and which I, I think you enjoy, by the way, Jason. Which which is right. So you enjoy doing that. So that, that works for our relationship. So it's it's good. But um, you know, starts you know oh you know starts mapping out thumbnails of where you know i've you know i've got 20 pages i got 18 pages reach back to me what do you think about this you know and then we and then then the real collaboration happens but it's it starts as a, a script you would read at a table read i think is a good way to look at it yeah, uh, and then yeah. and then we start trying and then you you really take it from that point and then it becomes a real collaborative Piece. Yeah, 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 it's actually fairly common. I know a lot of writers, okay. a lot of the writers I've talked to on the show here. That's uh, you know, a script is a script, and that's you know, know. They, yeah, a lot of them will just take the comic element out of their heads, you know, write a script, and you're just like you. This, you know, I know a lot. Bob Sally does it exactly like like a movie, um, where their stage directions are pretty much just your details in between mm-hmm. your your dialogue, right? So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so Jason, you're kind of taking the role of editor in a way, as well. Um, I we I I do some editing when it comes to the 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 simply not spelling but commas definitely. But I <laughs> I take the role. You know what? I the more I've learned about comics, the more I've learned that different time periods, different organizations, different teams do things differently. And there isn't one way to get it done. We've just done things the way that work best for us as a, as a duo. And I'm really keen on story structure and on pacing. Like I like those things a lot. So Chris, you know, writes a script and he's, there's a sort of a shorthand between us. Like we've watched a lot of the same movies. We now read a lot of the same comic books books um you know a lot of the same tv and chris you talk through your script you like usually give me not not a full reading but you talk through scenes and you kind of expect me to understand when there's like when characters are hanging on a moment when to draw something out Hmm. and um so i i try and follow that lead and i like i said i like breaking your script up into clear acts at least in terms of pacing, you know, like how much of the, how much of the issue should get, how many, how many of your script pages, and then breaking those down into um, even smaller page chunks uh, and then playing with it a little bit, give myself a little room to like, okay, what, what could stand a splash page? What could stand and maybe a double page spread? What could, what would be fun to do? And then it's, you kind of throw out the map and just go with the creative, creative side of what, what's actually fun. So there's some story editing, but I don't, Everything you just described. Like, I'm not sure what an editor does in every situation. It seems to be varied. So I know some editors just tell you, oh, we need more this style or more that. 
Oh, that's um, a waste some editors of time. Are that's, hands like off. A, that's more like a publisher kind of when it when it's coming down, not really like an I, I editor. I think it really depends on part what of company a team. you're talking about, what company, what yeah. time period. Because what you just described is exactly what an editor is for. And I don't agree. Exactly. You don't think so? It's it's. Uh, I, I, I think uh, you're, you're being too generic. Like it, it could be in some situations, but in other situations, I would say that's the storyteller. And, you know, Chris and I are, are sharing storytelling duties and that he's telling it through a script and and I'm telling it through the page art. Right, um, but if you're, There could have if, been another person between us that does some of the instruction and giving me direction as to what they want me to do but that also could have been chris yeah but when you're talking about story and plot and pacing um often when you know especially when it's more of an individual you guys you know it's great you're obviously a team who works well together and bounces off each other but i know a lot when you have a writer and an artist or a team or an individual who maybe aren't as familiar with uh, you know, each other or even the process. Uh, I've, I've just seen it over the years, just editors being valuable as far as uh, a good editor. And I'm not just saying anybody, you can't just get anybody. It's like somebody who knows what they're doing when it comes to those things. Like not somebody who's just putting, you know, crossing, you know, right. T's and like fixing your spelling. An editor just can, it can be a very important process, part of the process as far as, uh, you know, the pacing and the plot. And when you have an experienced editor who can say, you know, you don't need to say this here because you've already said it there, or they're saying that for you. Um, I, I'm not saying everybody should use an editor, just like I firmly believe in what you guys are doing. If it works for you, there's no way to do it. There's no right one way to do it. Right. You're absolutely true. But right. I have seen where, you know, in the past, like, like from what you're describing is what I've seen editors do for a team that just doesn't have the time, maybe, you know, because they're working on other stuff. Um, so yeah, basically that's, that's how I've always kind of looked at it. You know what there's I mean? Something there, yeah. There's something you said, I think for our, the, our relationship in terms of like the creativity piece and also just like, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jason, about you know, the ways in which we work and that benefits both creative partnership it also benefits our friendship there's like there's like all these pieces that are intertwined in this right so i think one of the one of the great things is that we inherently trust each other with um being each other's editorial sound so it's like you know because we didn't you know starting from ground zero we're like wow well, i mean it's okay one two and like as that process has continued like i mean jason and i have been in contact with each other daily for eight years on this project that like it's not like we weren't in contact before <laughs> but like you know like the texts that go back and forth and and it's it's everything from you know obviously checking in and saying how's your day going to like i got an idea what you think we workshop a ton on via text and we just constantly constantly we, we workshop the other day we've got we just we got a comic likely coming on the horizon I was like, oh, here's the idea. What do you think? Oh, phone call? Sure. What do you think? Oh, we can do this. What do you think? Like, it's it's just really, we have a great organic flow between us yeah. that I, and because we haven't really, like, worked too much with other people, like, I hope, you know, we hope that everyone else on their creative teams have that trust in their partner, but we know that's not. Well, it's something where other roles, other roles can come in like editors. Right. Right. Well, it's something that grows. So you guys are in a situation Mm. where you met each other, you grew together and then, you know, you figured it. And like you say, you kind of know kind of what each other's thinking or expecting. And uh, that's amazing. And I've seen other teams who like, I mean, oh, well, like I'll use a huge famous example is Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder. 
were not looking forward to working with each other at all. They were like, you know, how's this going to work out? And, you know, nowadays they consider each other family. Like they right. lay down right. in, on the train tracks for each other, you know? So yeah, the creative process is, is absolutely a bonding process as well, especially when you're having as much fun as it seems like you guys are having. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I just, I keep it in my mind that more comics are being made by non-pros around the world than comics being made by pros absolutely and so when i think about how things get done i try not to limit myself to only thinking about how you know famous professionals do things but just how do kids get things done right how, how do how do teenagers get their comics done with a friend and so it just it's a very fluid and, and ever-changing landscape of of what comics can be and how comics can can get made and yeah in my my limited professional experience making comics outside of things with Chris, uh, editors can play a, a hugely um, meaningful role. I think that's a lot of the time because, you know, publishers have a financial investment and they want someone who works in-house, who's yeah. not on the officially creative side, but who's on, whose role it is, is to be the advocate for the success of the, of the project from a financial point of view and a corporate point of view. So editors can be great to keep things on track and keep things clear. And they, they're one step removed from ego. Right. So mm. whereas an artist can really easily get lost in, in their vanity of their own work and a writer can easily get lost in the vanity of their own verbosity, uh, an editor can be an objective surgeon and uh, or a, come in and, and reno that wall. Just what take a that great wall, down with the hammer. Yeah. yeah. So um, hopefully because, you know, we're not kids, our egos are in check and we can call each other out, although we haven't. Um, yeah, not you know, yeah. what well, seems no, to work, you play well we together, right? Yeah, we can. We we're very much about, I think, it's really like a common goal, like common outcomes. And so, because of that, um, because of where we started with just, you know, hanging with our families and our friends and things, like, I think you're right. It's, it's just we, we have that commonality um, for that purpose. And uh, it, it, yeah, like we disagree on some things, but it's, you know, I mean, we also know like what's what are we trying to achieve? What are we really trying to get to? Right. Right. Well, and, it seems pretty uh, obvious. Pretty yeah. obvious. It seems pretty obvious you guys have like the same goals in mind, you know, the same intent. It's not like uh, you know, you guys have different things. Oh, I want to get big with this or big with that. You guys seem to, you know, have the same uh same reasons why you're doing it, you know? Yeah, the, the yeah. Venn diagram of our motivation are very overlapped. There are little parts on the side that might be unique to one guy or the other but mostly we uh we, we express them too we talk to each other about what we're looking for from mm. each of the projects and each of the the experiences coming up in the calendar like what we're hoping to accomplish right so on. yeah we're pretty transparent with each other about that luckily well let's talk a little bit about peregrines okay uh chris would you like to uh give us the pitch on what's going on with peregrines peregrines uh it's a story of four spies who uh, pull double duty as army nurses and belong to a secret organization that protects uh, the dominion of Canada from all things unknown and unbelievable. I love that you guys make Canada cool. It's one thing I liked about group of seven is like, not that Canada cool, but it's difficult to make Canada sound cool. And, you know, and no offense to any of these creators out there. A lot of them are amazing books, but 
it's always got to be north this or northern that or you know big fat maple leaves just on foreheads and chests and it's it's uh it's nice to see because I'm a big fan going back to the old early like Canadian comics like Johnny Canuck and stuff like you know there was a there was a certain coolness to Canada back then and I like the fact that you guys aren't like like throwing Canada in the face of it. You know what I mean? It happens to be a Canadian set. It happens to be a Canadian story, but it's not like you're just, you're not throwing maple leaves all over everything and being like Canada, Canada, Canada. You're letting, you're letting it, the story kind of stand for itself. You know? I think that's a pretty intentional thing on our part too. Right. Um, there, there have been a lot of what, whether it's a movie or TV show or comic book, um there it's an, it's an easy trap to fall into to position your brand opposite of something american right it you know we're 10 percent of the population uh a lot of our stuff is reactionary to american things and we specifically did not want to make a, a brand that was even in its own title or in its premise, a reaction to something that is American. We're not doing so you think you can dance Canada. Right. I got it. We're yeah. doing our own thing right. that would exist or not exist without any or all American products. It doesn't matter. Whatever the states are doing, that's fine. Great. I love American stuff. Go do your stuff. Right. But are we we wanted to have something that that spoke to us? And like you said, like we both find Canadian history interesting. We both find Canadian culture interesting. We love Canadian bands. We love British bands, we love American bands, we love all kinds of bands, but we we have a sweet spot for a soft spot for for lots of Canadiana, and um, yeah, like I said, when Chris made that pitch and just like we're going to make a Canadian comic, um, it just it sounded exactly aligned with the kind of thing I would, would love to see. I mean, for instance, um, coming across the first time we went to TCAF together to check out the show, I'd never been before, and I don't think you'd ever been before, Chris, and we came across Jason Lowe's Pitiful Human Lizard. Nice. You know, it it wasn't again a ripoff of an American idea. It was this kid in Toronto doing Toronto stuff. I'm like, I love Toronto. It's my favorite city. And I love comics. And this is the most Toronto comic I've ever seen. Yeah. And it 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 like you know pulled me out of my chair. And and uh, still to this day, if I pass a copy of Pitiful Human Lizard on, you know, in a dollar bin, heaven, heaven forbid, or in some comic book store back issue. I don't leave it there. I rescue it. I bring that thing home. Oh, good man. I, you know, I, I love having those, even though I have all the trades, but uh, it's just this idea that they're, well, I guess it comes out of representation, right? That's, oh yeah. I, I love seeing the things that I love in the media I consume. Right, right. I would that's why I was such a huge fan of the Toronto Comics anthology. Are you guys familiar with that series? Of course. I saw Andrew like, this weekend. Oh, awesome. Um oh, I haven't seen I haven't seen him since TCAF. So actually, yeah, it was the last time I saw Andrew. Um the the greatest thing about Toronto Comics anthology is they're not just like Toronto artists and writers, but it's about Toronto. And sure, some of them are fantastical about like, you know, giant monsters in the subway or whatever. That's a, that's a great story. Yeah. Tehran like- and stuff like like, come on, that's that's great fun, you know, and it's it's so awesome to see that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, anybody who really gets it, you know, because like that's what grabbed my attention when I first heard about you guys. I was like, group of seven. I know what that is. Um, and you know, it, it's Canadian without being like Canadian, you know what I mean? It's just yeah, Canadian enough and known enough 
to, to kind of pull you in and be like, I'm familiar with those words together. Right. And it, it, it's often like a, a bit of a, uh, like a memory game because when we, the, the common thing that's happened when we're tabling is people walk by and they do a double take because they see the title and they go group of seven. They do exactly Jay. Oh, I know like the painters, they do this thing like the painters. Right. And, we, and then we go to the pitch, like, well, kind of, and we talk about it and we start talking about the people in the book or things. And like, it's almost like everything starts coming back from like school, right? Like, like it's just under the surface. Like, Oh, I know that. Oh, I remember that. And it's like, you're right. It's not super in your face. It's a little more subtle, a little more behind the scenes. But I think once you have that initial buy-in, at least that's what we've experienced, I think. Uh, people people are keen for the stories. And as Jason was saying, like we love creating story about the things around us, whether that's geography, whether that's what we learned growing up as kids, whether it's, whether it's like the things that, like as I was mentioning, you know, working in the in, in working with history professionally. And so like talking about stories and people that people don't know about for whatever reason. They were have been left out of the conversation. They have been left out of the history book for a number of both intentional and unintentional. So, uh, you know, we can bring those stories forward. We can bring those characters forward. And suddenly now we're in a whole sandbox, like play equipment and characters. And now we can just also throw in some monsters and throw in whatever. And then, and then these stories, you're right. It's not, we're not yelling from the rooftops, but again, we're providing those entry points and oftentimes reminding people of things that they have come across culturally because you know, whether they grew up around where we grew up or whatever their experiences were. Um, so it's a, it's a nice way to insert some of those things that really stuck with us as kids and adults um, into, the, into the storytelling. Very, very cool. And Peregrines is in the same universe, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we shared universe. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And you're just building off that thing. It's very, very well, exciting. And Peregrines, it's funny because that was there's a couple of reasons why that exists. And one is we have this book of seven soldiers, seven men going on this mission. And, you know, women are very important in our lives aside from the wives we've talked about, but like my mom read the script and was like, awesome. Where are the women? I'm like, Oh, that's a good point. Where are the women in this book? Right. My sister read the script and she's like, awesome. Where are the women? I'm like, you're totally right. And then, so then we, then we had to figure out a way to creatively also not just put people in for tokenism, not just because I felt guilty or, you know, whatever it was, but like, how do we insert a whole other shared universe aspect that like both supports the initial story and then takes it in fun new direction. Right. And so there's an issue three, like the peregrines are introduced on a two page spread where they're behind the scenes and there's two characters talking about, the mission that the one team has gone on and the, and the, and then the other character who's also a leader of the Peregrine says, well, you know, Hey, FYI, just, you know, if your team doesn't make it, my team's going to go in. Right. And, right. and he's like, what are you talking about? And just like, just so you know, I'm putting you in your place. Our team will go in and make this happen. If you guys fail, you know? So it's like, yeah. Whoa, who, what are we talking about here? And so then that just blossomed into a script about Peregrine and about how, there, and now and now we have a shared universe where now we can have overlap between you know characters mentioning other characters, right? Absolutely. World so, building, just, man. Exactly. And yeah. so that's that's been super fun for us. Oh, that's great. Oh, I love that you guys are having such a blast with this. This is what I love to see. No, really, for real. Like 
just straight up fun passion for making comics. It's what it's about, kids. And you guys are going to be bringing all these comic books with you to Gotham, yes? Yes. So people can pick up Group of Seven and Peregrines is out and good and in print? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we've got the first two issues of Peregrines plus two more standalone Peregrine stories that we do on the fly as well. So very, very cool. More Peregrines comics and then, of course, the Group of Seven tree. Yeah. Oh, guys, um, I'm very excited uh, to get Peregrines. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So cool. Kids, October 29th, Gotham Central, comics and collectibles, Indie Fest, Halloween Party. Jason Lapidus and Chris Sanigan will be there with Group of Seven, Peregrines. This is super exciting. Guys, thank you so much for having a chat with us tonight. Thank you, Jay. Thanks no so much. problem. And please, as, as this world expands and more is created, please come back and uh, talk more with us about it. We absolutely will. Thank All you right. for having us. And uh, we'll see you. See you at Gotham. We'll see you at Gotham, kids. Uh, kids. This is exciting. I always love having new guests to the show, and especially when we combined it with an old friend of the show. The old friend of the show being Jonathan Kachuba. The new friend of the show being Mr. Eddie Mumford. This is the creative team behind Flytrap Kids. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, this is an exciting time. Congratulations on the book. Are you guys uh, enjoying all the fun times pushing this thing around the world? Do I go first, Ed? Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, we've been having a great time. We've been hitting tables everywhere we can. We were just at the Mississauga Comic Expo, which was great at the Living Arts Center. And uh, yeah, what, what was the time we tabled before that? We tabled uh, a TCAF. We did yeah, TCAF. Oh, yeah, TCAF was great. Uh, yeah. I can't wait for the next TCAF. Weren't you guys to uh, tabled up at Gotham already once this year? Yeah, we did. We did, we uh, did before yeah. that. Did, uh, it was an outdoor event. It was along with uh, Super Kicked. There was wrestling going on at the same time. Yeah, that was the 10-year anniversary bash. What a fun day that was, eh? That was yeah, amazing. That was the live wrestlers really gave us something to watch while we were outside. Eddie, was that your first time to Gotham Central? No, that was my second time, I think. All right. And what do you think of the shop? Oh, it was fantastic. I love Gotham Central. I mean, you go in and it's just a feast for the eyes. It's kind of every nerd's wet dream. <laughs> yeah, it's an enormous space and they've done a beautiful job of it. And uh, Carlos and uh, the crew there have built this incredible community that we're all so very lucky and proud to be a part of. Jonathan, have you done Indie Fest before in the past? Uh, yes, uh, I, I, I've done it before in the past. I've done it when I pushed, when I was promoting uh, Paperhead. And I think, yeah, for paper, I did that for sure. Yeah. Good times. All right, guys, tell me of the origin story of how your mighty brains came together. Jonathan, how'd you meet Eddie? Well, it's funny. I met Eddie through, through another friend. Basically I, uh, there's a friend named Camila. She's like this amazing Toronto graphic designer. I think she's even like award winning, uh, but she would have these amazing house parties and, uh, Eddie was, uh, her roommate. And, uh, it was funny because it, it's funny. we actually got closer when he moved away to Tulsa and I'd, I eventually I would like show him some stuff and I really liked his notes on certain things. And um, I think eventually when I was working on something, uh, I, I just basically was I was in a weird hiatus with uh, another gig. So basically, like I just finished a paid gig and um, the the project wasn't was on the shelf. 
And so it was kind of frustrating because it was like, you know, I worked so hard on this one thing and it, it's not going to come out. So I had to kind of take that, like, you know, take things in your own hands and like, I like make, make more projects and stuff. And then um, I was like 10 pages into drawing something and I realized I don't want, like, I, I really want to make this thing good. And uh, I really respected like what Eddie's like, uh, like his ideas and stuff. And so I basically went to him and I was just, I kind of showed him something I started and he was able to build a whole universe around that. That's amazing. Um, what's your deal, Eddie? Uh, I know not much about you at all. You were here, you traveled, you're here again. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I'm back from my travels to the USA. I think I spent enough time there uh, in terms of living. I'm definitely glad to be back in Canada where I feel a little bit safer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Telsa was great. Uh, what I'm happy to be back and close to are my friends uh, whom I miss dearly. Uh, the problem is that I ended up making a bunch of new friends in Tulsa and now I miss them. So oh. I got to be traveling back and forth for the rest of my life. But that's a, that's a happy burden. I think, you know, it's a traveling. very, very happy burden. That was something that was very difficult for me doing the traveling that I've done for source point press over the past few years. Uh, you know, a lot of my very good friends, people I consider family are just spread out over the States now. And it used to be a fun little journey every year to go around and, you know, see everybody. And then it was two years of not seeing anybody and it was torturous. It was a dark, dark time, but we've come out of that kids. Uh, Are you originally from the Toronto area or? I am. Yes. I grew up in Etobicoke, which is basically West Toronto now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, When I was born, it it wasn't part of Toronto, but now it is. So I can say that I'm, I'm from Toronto. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. There was no Metro city back then. eh? Sorry. Is it mega city? Sorry. Mega city, mega city, mega city. I think oh. is it is it Metro City? Is that Mega Man? <laughs> There's a comic book in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You throw that in the Toronto Comics anthology, it would fit right along with something like Mega that. City Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Jonathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about Flytrap? And Eddie, tell us about how you were able to build this entire world around his idea. Sure. You start, Jonathan. All right. So the basic uh, pitch the flytrap is that a comet hits the earth awakening a prehistoric uh, fungus which is in our dna and it becomes this kind of like invasion story from like from like body horror and stuff from within and stuff and um i just i've just really gone through a lot of horror movies and body horror and cronenberg things and uh and that's kind of one of the things me and eddie could connect on and in, in that in, on that point so oh yeah yeah we definitely have a, a kinship for body body horror and existential dread and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was an easy match when he told me he wanted to do something kind of Lovecraftian. I was like, Oh, I've read all of Lovecraft. That's, that's something I'd I'd be down to try. Uh, But then we ended up kind of making our own thing, um, uh, uh, which was great. You know, it kind of bloomed out of this maybe original idea of doing something Lovecraftian. And it is still in a way Lovecraftian because there's a lot of existential dread, but uh, how I, built the universe around it was you know I like most writers I pulled from my own fears and my own nightmares and I've always had this lingering fear that you know God quote-unquote created us just for the purpose of breeding and then dying and then being eaten uh and so I thought what if God wasn't mushroom what if what if the God from the old testament was a fungal was a fungal consciousness and really only 
curated and 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 you know helped the human race along because we keep providing dead bodies for it to eat and so that's kind of where were you on mushrooms when you thought of all this or at that point no (laughs) (laughs) um forgive me for not knowing uh forgive my ignorance eddie uh, but I would like to know about your previous work. Is are comics your thing, or your prose, or what's your deal as a writer? That's a funny question. Yeah, I mean, I always feel like a little bit of an outsider at all the comic book events because I am new to comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, making making the fly trap with uh, Jonathan was the first real comic book that I made. Okay. Before that, I had done zines, um, short stories, of course, and I got a book published after uh, in 2013. Uh, which was like, you know, fiction, uh, novel. Uh, of course, nobody read it because nobody reads books anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, comic books felt like a really uh, perfect fit. And I'm so glad, I'm so grateful that Jonathan reached out to me to work on this project because now that I'm writing comic books, it feels so right you know it feels like ah this is the medium that i should have been working in this whole time oh that's fantastic catching up yeah it is fantastic that must be so motivating it must bring a certain inspiration right majorly and also you know having a work partner like jonathan who is as committed to making making doing the work as, as i am you know it's it, it it doesn't feel like I'm writing for nothing anymore. You know, right. when I had no one to work with in the past, you know, a lot of novelists are very solo and hermetic in a sense. So they kind of shut themselves up in a room and they write for days and days or weeks and months. And you never know if anyone's going to see it, if it's ever going to go anywhere, if anyone's ever going to read it. And now I have Jonathan to entertain. It's like, <laughs> I'm always just, I'm, I'm typically writing for him first. I need to sell this to Jonathan first. You know what? That's a good idea. And it's also a a very lucky thing for you to be coming into the industry on your first comic with Jonathan, because this is you coming out of the gates with a very unique voice, Um, you know, and also one of the things that's always struck me about you, Jonathan, is your passion for your pitch. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of creators and, you know, you can tell that when you're telling your pitch, how excited you got about it the original time you thought about it, because that's pretty much the way you pitch it every time you tell me about whatever afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, coming in with Jonathan, it's a it's a unique opportunity because you're a little bit on the outside with your ideas there, Jonathan. You got some interesting stuff going on. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take I'll take it. I'll take that. That's a compliment. No, I love it. I think it's fantastic. You know, it's uh it's great, especially this community being uh, as varied as it is. You know, there's a lot of unique voices and a lot of talented people. So to be able to stand out the way that you have, Jonathan, and plus also, you know, going off reputation, you're a nice guy, you know, which is great. Yeah. So, you know, that's always an added thing. What keeps you positive? What keeps this uh, like super positive attitude that you always seem to be spewing out when I see it? Honestly, it's it's honestly just trying to be constructive always, always going forward. Like, you know, you have to, I think what's important always is is like, here's where you kind of change things. And this is the whole thing where fandom, I kind of was like, I had to really like reconcile certain things. Like, I remember like, just, you know, you know, the whole idea of just toxic fandom and about like shitting on stuff. And, and I, I, it's fun. Right. But I also feel like at the same time too, I feel like if you can 
so like define yourself by the things that you like celebrate versus the things that you shit on. I feel like your whole outlook on on everything kind of even your your like your appeal to other people is so much different. Like um, you know what I mean? Like, like I'll give you an example. Like, like for instance, like you know I might not like Batman versus Superman or Suicide Squad the first one, but you know I mean I think I respect this one else does and. I just, I already kind of like, I can like, I can focus on things I do like. I, I like Dark Knight. And I think spending my time focusing on why Dark Knight was awesome versus why I think Batman vs. Man is bad, I feel like puts you in a better spot, a state of mind. It's just, I don't know. And it's not, I know right now it sounds like, it sounds kind of very like um, cheesy in some extent, but I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's kind of the way I'm getting, bo- getting through things. Like even during the pandemic, it was like, I had to stop watching like oscar like those depressing like oscar dramatic movies i went i went back in time i watched colombo i watched like 80s horror movies you know things where problems were different back then just to kind of like i don't know like i didn't want to i didn't really need to know uh outside of like oh i just, feel you you, you know, know updates what, you know you what know? i did <laughs> yeah i did the golden girls no. Oh, amazing. Yes. That's right. I sat down and my white noise for weeks was going through the Golden Girls and it was fantastic. I was like, what a great time in the world. The one liners on that show episode? were legendary. Sorry? Did you see the Tarantino episode? The one where Tarantino was an extra? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, there were so many people that showed up. Like, as yeah. I'm watching the show, I was like, that guy? That girl? Like, it was crazy. Leslie um, Nielsen? Right? Oh. <laughs> It's uh, uh, does family? Uh, it, obviously, it must. It's it's more a statement, I guess, than a question I have for you because you are one of those guys, and there's many of them in the community that uh, have a reputation of being a family man, and uh, that tends to give you a certain perspective on things and having to stay positive a lot of the time. You know, is is your family a great source of inspiration for you to keep on pushing and creating and doing all these things? Yeah, uh, very much so. I think I think a part of me was because I think for me growing up, the thing the dread was of being an adult was seeing like how miserable like your your adult like relatives were sometimes. And I I really think it's very important that like w- when my kids get exposed to like one knowing that like getting older you can still enjoy things in life as an adult, and two that there's interesting adults that you know you can look forward to like being being or 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 like interacting with in the future and stuff. And I, and, I, and I think also, too, is like, it's like that, I don't, because I feel, I, again, I, I didn't have that as a kid, and I always felt like that was something that was always missing in, the, in, that, in that area and stuff. You know, guys of our generation, I think we tend to be great dads because we had such shitty ones in the 70s. Not all of them. Not all of them. I know, no, I, I, I can contest that. Yes. the 70s yes. weren't a great time for, you know... Kids not having kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of us don't have a, a lot of length between us and our parents. If you were born in the seventies, it seems to be, you know, <laughs> and, and it's funny too, cause it's fair too. Cause I, I don't like, like, I don't know my parents at the time. Right. Like, you know, they, they don't like, they don't fully understand the idea of like, like, you know, for them, they, they see it, see as like, Oh, what are you doing? It's like, um, they don't understand that. Like, it's not like a skilled trade or those things that, that something can bring you joy, but it's not necessarily going to like take care of you like money wise and stuff. And you always have to like, you know, I, I have to make peace with that basically that they're not going to, you know, fully understand that. <clears throat> oh, totally. It's, it's, it's a, it's a balance that way. Right. Like there were definitely times like I've been doing this podcast for 10 years 
And, uh, you know, there, there were times when I probably was putting far too much into it and not putting enough into certain other areas that I should have been attentive to. And it des- definitely caused disruptions in my relationship in the past. So it was a matter of prioritizing things and, uh, you know, realizing, I think, not being selfish about it, finding a way to chase your dreams, yet realize that, you know, people depend on you. And you, if you, especially if you've created a, a certain circle, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a, it's a hard balance to find, but an important one. And it's cool, you know, because, you know, it's not like I've ever made much of a cent off podcasting, you know, but here I am 10 years later, still doing it just because I love talking to fine folks like you guys, you know? And it's kind of cool. It's pretty, it's cool how consistent, like you, you, what, you're like, you're past 200 now, right? This is episode 418. So oh, you're past so your- close. Oh, so close. <laughs> so close. So close. Unfortunately, yeah, that one, that one I had to reserve the big one coming up. Uh, because I've been obviously thinking about it since like, you know, kind of when I hit like 300, when I hit like episode 300, I was like, I'm probably gonna make it to 420, and I'm probably gonna have to do something a little special. Um, so I got a few little special things, but that's why I have all these mad podcasts to get in before that kids, uh, with all these insane creators, uh, who are going to be at Indie Fest on October 29th. Uh, Eddie, has this sparked a fire? Have you now got a whole bunch of new ideas in your head? Are we going to see new comic books from you? Yeah, well, I mean, Jonathan and I are secretly working on another project, uh, which we're really excited about. We've barely scratched the surface on it and we don't want to talk about it because, the premise is good enough to steal. So we don't want Ooh, to talk about it in great That's detail. awesome. But we, we have a great idea for our next book. And I, I've also, I also came up with another idea recently. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if Jonathan would be interested in making that one in particular. But uh, yeah, I had like a funny kind of like erotic comedy idea where it would be uh, detective comics. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. I like yeah. it. I like uh, that. That would be pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I like that direction. Well, yeah, now it's, it's cool too because a, a dick transplant, but it's um, it's haunted by the ghost of the former owner. So he's trying to solve crimes, but he's now being pointed in all these new directions. Literally, <laughs> love it, love it. Need to see it. Oh, I can't wait. That would be a great read. Are you kidding? It's also awesome now that you are back and get to mingle in the community at things like Indie Fest because you're going to meet all these other creators, and who knows what kind of things that's going to spur especially we are so lucky here in southern ontario and i know i wax poetic about it a lot but there's no other place in the world literally in the world i believe this firmly where there is a such a generational connection in the comic book community uh since the 30s way back into the day and it's just it's bred on top of itself and just with the uh, the amount of museums and opportunities for education and, and, you know, school of the arts, there is nowhere in the world that you can be to, you know, be luckier to get into making comics. We have all the, like easily the 90% of the most talented people working in the industry are like within two hours of each other. And it's an absolute insane thing. So, you know, very- why do you think Ontario what, what, what makes us so special? I do think it's it's literally my theory is uh, so close to New York, eh? and New York's kind of where it started. And there was a lot of back and forth. Toronto has had a comic book community since Joe Schuster mm. way back in the day. And I think that 
the like I say, the amount of uh, you know museums and art galleries and uh, you know Sheridan College and 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 like even Ty Templeton's boot camp. And there's just so much opportunity, and there's so many talented people that are at your fingertips. I mean, you go sh- go to shows here, and there's like six Marvel Legends all sitting next to six guys who are currently working on books. Yeah. You know, like I can name like Ty Templeton, Ken Lashley, Dave Ross, uh, Jason Fabok, David Finch, Chip Zdarsky, Ramon Perez. Uh, all those people live within two hours of each other. And that's yeah. ri- it's ridiculous, you know, <laughs> and, and I mentioned I mentioned his last show, but David Ross, I had that history of Dave Ross as a kid when uh, he used to go to my parents business. He used to go to my parents photocopying company in on Blurwest Village to fax his Marvel pages. Are you Whoa. kidding <laughs> yeah, I got to see the end of West Coast Avengers, um, like months before the whole thing happened. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, it, I think. Wait, I think I told you this story before, but the whole thing was so. My mom said, "Oh, there's guys, there's comic books," and, he, and she just she gave me a photocopy of one of the faxes, <laughs> and um, and then and then like uh, basically like it's, like it's Dave Ross, what the hell, right? And then so I drew a picture of a superhero. And I got, I go, mom, mom, give us a Ross. Tell me what he thinks and stuff like. Cause you, you know, in your mind, you're thinking like every character you draw is like the, the next big thing or something. And then, so he sends it back to me. I'm seven years old, and he's like completely critiquing it, like cutting it up, going, "You need to like study anatomy." Like he's giving me like a whole paragraph in red pencil, in red pen, like on beside my picture. Right. It was, it was great. honestly, it was great as a kid. Like it kind of gave me like a building block of like. I need to get, you know, this is what you need to do in order to like, you know, saying that this is a start and this is what you need to like, this is what you need to start with doing things and stuff. That's an amazing opportunity to have, man. I'm I'm reading his book right now, the uh, figure freehand illustration book, how to draw figures freehand. And it's incredible. And he's like, like you're saying, he's such a teacher, you know, and he's been teaching for years. Like, uh, you know, Max the Mutt and stuff. He's been teaching forever. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And when you come up bred out of it, like, like you're familiar with the Padawan, my kid, and my kid's a pretty good artist. And, you know, people are often surprised that where he's at for his age, but this kid has also been going to Comic-Con since he was two years old. This kid grew up sitting beside Mike Ruth and hanging out with Ty Templeton and them telling him how to draw shit. And, you know, you can't help but like soak it in when you're in that environment, you know? So Get your kids out there. If you got if you got kids who are young, get them out there and get them exposed because take them to these shows, kids. Take them to Indie Fest uh, because it's going to be a great time. Again, October 29th at Gotham Central Comics and Collectibles in beautiful Mississauga, Ontario. We're going to have a whole bunch of creators. There's also going to be con- uh, costume contests uh, with gift card prizes for the store. I think they're like two and four hundred dollar gift card prizes or something like that. I'm sorry if I'm blowing. I know one of them's two hundred. Um, but yeah, it's going to be super cool. We're going to have raffles. Uh, the whole deal. Bring the kids out. There's also going to be free drawings for the kids. Uh, so if you do bring the kids out, they get to go home with something. Uh, and plus you get to check out Gotham central. It's the premier comic shop in Ontario now. Um, you know, nominated for an Eisner spirit of comics award this year. Carlos has grown something incredible. So y'all need to come out, meet the man himself and you get to meet these two amazing individuals. Eddie, thank you so much for coming to the show for the first time. Uh, we hope to have you back for many more. Hell yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jay. And Jonathan, it is always a pleasure to have you here on The Weapon, my friend. 
Thanks, man. Congratulations on Flytrap. These guys are going to be there at Gotham Central. They're going to have it. So get there and get it and meet them and uh, have a wonderful time. Uh, Kids, again, we're going to keep rolling on. But for now, that's all we're going to have here on An Elegant Weapon. Take it easy. See you at Gotham. <laughs>